Hi, this is Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. We wanted to start the show by thanking our wonderful patrons for making the show possible. And we have a new patron, Brian Wilson. Thank you for supporting the show. If you can spare a couple bucks to make the show possible, please visit patreon.com slash coachyourbrainsout. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we have no guests and just the four of us, so we're sorry in advance. But our topic today is upgrade your language, a very important topic. But before we do that, I wanted to do a quick debrief of Billy Allen's beach, pro beach season. Billy, up for that? Yep. Always super happy to talk about my feelings. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's that's what we wanted to hear. So, Billy, to start out, what would you say went well this season? Um, I thought that we really committed. Um, we're trying to qualify for the Olympics, so this season definitely felt like it had more gravity than just a normal season. Um, and we committed to it. We trained more than ever. Stafford quit his real job to focus on volleyball. I made my wife quit her job so she could let me focus on volleyball. Um, we traveled and played in more tournaments than I've ever played in. We, I think we competed in 17 tournaments this year, and we have one more coming up in November. Uh, so, yeah, it was the most I've ever spent on volleyball and the most I've ever trained. So I thought committing was great. I think results-wise, we had a few good FIVBs and one okay AVP. <laughs> so, <laughs> we didn't qualify for the Olympics yet. Oh, hashtag growth mindset. Love it. Uh, what are the top two or three lessons that you learned? Um, that anyone can beat anyone. Uh, it's really deep. Actually, on the, I was going to say on the FIVB, but also on the AVP. Um, you know, we dropped some, a couple times, some first round losses as you know when we were seated pretty high. Um, and I think just going in knowing that it's, every match is going to be tough. Um, I think our our mindset that we learned at the World Championships was that to talk about this next match is going to be the hardest match of the year and not to overlook anybody. So that was a big one. So preparing the same way, no matter who you played. Um, I feel like I felt better when I worked out, even on the road, rather than kind of totally resting and getting sedentary after my matches. So I just kind of keeping up with that, even if it's lifting kind of before or after matches. And then uh, just to have a little more open communication. I think there were... Sometimes, especially we had a, a tough loss in an Orsaka qualifier that we um, got some stuff out where I was being a little defensive um, with my partner when some of our body language and our language and our frustration, I think just getting it out in the open um, helped us for the rest of the year. So I think that's another thing. You kind of touched on it in a way, but is there anything you'd do over if you could do it differently? Um... Because it was such a grind playing so many tournaments that there were a few AVPs especially where maybe we were not sure if we were going to play, if we were going to leave early, and we had flights, you know, maybe Saturday night or Sunday night where maybe we didn't give it our complete full attention when we were there. Um, and I think just looking at the past and maybe some, some me in the past and maybe some of the other AVP teams where they were like so fired up to play in the tournament and they were hungry and motivated and uh, maybe we over we like didn't really take advantage of the opportunity and maybe overlooked it a little bit. Um, in 
it kind of all the tournaments kind of blurred into each other instead of like hey this is our only focus right now and kind of forgetting the the tournament we're going to travel to um i would have liked to do that a little better and then maybe yelling at stafford to spike an overpass in germany but yeah that would have been nice yeah that would have been good (laughs) uh are you going to be training those off-season plays yeah, we're we took a went to Hawaii last week for an EVP and stuck around for a little vacation, and then we're going to start getting back at it again next week. And so, a lot to get better at. Um, one thing I learned is that even when I focused on serving all year, it didn't really get any, feel any easier. <laughs> so, uh, plenty of room to upgrade that and get get better at that, and hopefully play even better, perform better next year than I did this year. Well. If you get a better coach, maybe you'll get a better serve. Maybe, so, maybe. Now, we, John coaches this year. I really enjoyed working with him, learned a lot, and hopefully we can keep working together. Billy, is John yeah, a so. better coach or a player? Whew, he was a really good player. I'd, I'd say on the defenders, he was probably the top five when he was playing. And I think as a coach, he's my number one pick for who would want coaching me in beach right now. Man, thanks, Billy. Yeah, wow. I didn't know I was top five as a player. Sure, you had me. Um, <laughs> who else? Nick was pretty good. Todd. <laughs> is it is it considered false modesty when at one point you were the MVP of the AVP, John? Like, at what point are you going to figure out that you were good? Uh, yeah, I'll look back at some film and see, but I don't, I don't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. Uh, okay, well. Thanks for sharing, Billy. Thanks for filling us in. Uh, looking forward to you and Stafford continuing to to grow. And um, I know you guys are still right in the hunt with the Olympics and excited to see what you guys do and excited to be a part of it. But um, wanted to get into our topic of upgrading your language as a coach. Uh, I got to spend some time with Lorraine Davies, the uh, mindset coach or mindset um, teacher from Australia. She's been on the podcast twice. And spending one day around her, but I got to spend 10 days. But after a day, I, I really realized that uh, how important language is. And, and she's constantly pointing it out. And just how words have so much power and how la- language has a huge effect on our brain, on relationships, on connection, safety, your sense of belonging, and uh, and our athlete's voice. And some of the things, I mean, she she would tell us about, I mean, this is directly from, from Lorraine, Lorraine about... Um, how language in all its forms drives our processes that sets up the brain's responses and it releases neurochemicals. It can release things like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and the really awful cortisol. Um, And things like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin generate the reward response where cortisol generates the threat response. And, And a lot of that is decided by the language we use. And especially as leaders and coaches, we can um, drive our athletes to go either direction towards that dopamine serotonin or uh, towards the cortisol. So it's, and it's not just our language. It's also the way we say things. It's our verbal and facial responses. Uh, so it's, it's not always just what we say, but it's how we say it. So just th- reflecting on it and realizing that, you know, our language is shaping our athletes, their ideas of themselves, their social and emotional perception of the world. It just made me realize we, I thought it'd be helpful for us as as coaches and podcasters to uh, look to make some productive changes, um, not only in like common volleyball lingo, but just common coach lingo. So maybe you guys can help me out. We'll go through them. 
the first one that really jumped out at me, I think it's kind of low hanging fruit is, uh, the whole idea as a, as a beach volleyball player, my whole career, I was told when you're on this side of the court, it's the bad side and the other side of the court, it's the good side. So I'd go out and play volleyball on the bad side of the court. And, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, first, what do you guys think? Um, John, do you want to just explain that a little bit for maybe yeah, somebody yeah, that yeah, know yeah. about beach? Good call. Um, yeah, so the bad side is commonly referred to the side where the wind is at your back. So it's more difficult to pass the ball because serves drive through the wind and it'll drop. And it's often more difficult to hit because the set will maybe fly away from you or fly tight. Um, and when you hit, the ball maybe will sail a little longer. So people will say that's the bad side. So if you're a, a volleyball player and your coach says, all right, we're going to the bad side. How do you guys think that would affect them and, and what would be a more productive way to say it? Yeah, I think you would go in thinking you're already at a disadvantage and maybe, you know, just kind of surviving on that side rather than thriving. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this. Maybe you could say good side and then the wind side um, just as a way to, even though they're both windy sides, just a way to so it's not such a negative connotation on the one side yeah i think that's right on yeah i mean being even specific it's the side wind side and the wind at your back side so then maybe they can generate a plan we we at lmu we say the good side and the better side i mean either side we get to play play volleyball so we're stoked and you know there's some adjustments we'll make and there's some uh, benefits to where the wind is no matter where we are um so yeah, i think it's just about reframing it John, what kind of changes did you notice when you made that change? Did you come in with that type of language or did you have to make the the change? Um, no, I, yeah, just made the change uh, along the way. And um, yeah, just noticed a little bit more optimism when you're heading on the court and hearing our girls like, all right, we're going to the better side here. Or, uh, you know, here we're on the good side. This is what we're going to do. It just felt like it became more of an opportunity uh, versus a, a threat. And I think we'll get into how our language can lead to, to threat states. But yeah, that, that's, I mean, the first thing I noticed. So I, I, you, you know a little bit more behind the science of this, but is it as simple as that? Like when you change your language from something that seems that arbitrary, where it's the good side and the better side, like your players actually bought into that or you're not just changing words and your players now know that the good side is the bad side or anything like that? Um, yeah, I don't think it's like that simple where you can just make one small change. I think it's a... Um, you know, an, an overall philosophy is we look at at challenges as opportunities, and the way we we approach them, the way we talk about them, um, and the words we use. You know, that combination of things then I think leads to yeah, the way we we frame things and the way we approach things is their opportunities, not threats. Um, but that's not like that's I think that's always a constant challenge, and any way we can make it, um, yeah, I guess easier to feel like it's a challenge than we should, it's a good opportunity to do it. Um, the other one that Lorraine really brought to my attention, and this one was, I think, something I'm really working on now, is uh, this idea of directive statements. So a directive statement is when you just direct someone to do something. So um, actually, when Lorraine was with us, we were saying, all right, go shag the balls when the drill was over. And to... Uh, Lorraine shag meant a very different thing um, in Australia. Apparently, it's a different word. So she was confused for a little bit at first. <laughs> yeah, she was baby. wondering why we were telling uh, all these college girls to go shag balls. Uh, but once she understood, we were 
directing them and saying, go clean up your space. Um, she uh, pointed out that when you, anytime you make a directive statement, uh, the, the athlete or a person, their only two options are really to comply where it's like, okay, yes, sir, I'll do that. Or to rebel and say, you know, no, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and she, you know, just brought up what sort of people are you trying to develop? What sort of athletes do you want people who are, um, yeah, just get really good at compliance or, or really good at co uh, rebelling. And if they comply long enough, eventually they're going to rebel. So, you know, started thinking about how often I would tell my athletes, I would direct my athletes, all right, take a slow first step in your approach. And now they can go, okay, I'm in, I'm in robot mode. Yeah. Whatever you say, I'll take my sl slow first step or they can go, no, I'm going to do my thing and I'm not going to take a slow first step. They're going to rebel. So uh, it just really got me thinking like how often I'm directing them instead of guiding them or um, creating an opportunity for them to problem solve. Um, so I think there's small changes you can make and maybe you guys have a couple, but one is instead of taking, instead of saying, take a small first step in your approach, I could say, Hey, could you make that, that first step smaller on your approach? And now it's a, you know, it becomes a question and it becomes them not saying yes, sir. They, they could say, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I, I can make a smaller first step. And then all of a sudden there's some autonomy and it's about, it's, it becomes their first step and they, they've chosen to do it and they've taken power over it. I'm sure there's better ways to do that, but that's, I think one simple change, you know, you change one word, it goes from a question to a, a directive. Now, what are your guys' thoughts? I'm trying to think of different examples of how to get away from the directive statements when you're coaching them. Mm -hmm. So obviously the way you did it there with like, can you perform whatever action you want? I'm also like, that's the only one that's coming to mind off the top of my head. Other than like, maybe like, what would it be a directive statement if you said like, let's shag the balls or something like that? Is it that simple? Well, <laughs> with the shag the ball specifically, she she said you know just say the drill's over if when we basically when we direct them you're missing out on opportunities for growth instead like what she was pushing was okay you know the coach says drill's over and then one of your girls you know we had this sophomore girl who took initiative took some leadership and she went and started shagging balls on her own and then it was an opportunity for her to you know and we could point out hey that took a lot of a lot of uh initiative for you to do that and to you know begin cleaning up our space and then all of a sudden she has ownership and our girls have ownership over their space they're deciding what they want to do with it how they want to clean it up she she often said like they they wouldn't want me i'm a 70 year old woman to come you know tell them what to do in their room and decorate their room for them you know they'd be you know, they'd feel silly so like this is their space this is their court um let them take ownership of it let them decide how they want to clean it up, you know, you can, and then you can, you can point out all the times that they are demonstrating some more soft skills like leadership or initiative or, um, you know, things, things like that cooperation. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but in that situation, um, we were, we were basically taking an opportunity away from them. She felt like, and then for a coach listening, if they want to imply this, uh, use this, if they were to say the drill is over, um, would they just kind of hope a player steps up or is this something you discuss beforehand that like, you know, after drills in order to make the practice move smoother, you know, we can quickly pick stuff up or do you yeah. just kind of wait for them to happen or like, 
stare at the balls awkwardly. <laughs> yeah, we had these same questions. And I, I know like this seems like kind of arbitrary, uh, but I think it's just understanding a broader concept. Um, so yeah, what, what we did is um, we tried that at first. It's like, okay, the drill's over and they all kind of stared at us and like, okay, <laughs> uh, waiting for us to, you know, boss them around and tell them what to do. So then what we decided was um, before practice at the whiteboard, we, you know, we said, this is your guys' space. Um, you know, here's some scenarios like pre-practice, during practice, post-practice. Uh, what do you guys want to do, um, you know, for setup? How do you want to set up the courts? Um, you know, after the drill's over, what's the next steps? And we let them create this list. Um, I forget what we called it exactly. But yeah, it was just their their guidelines. I think it was their, their guideline list for the tasks during practice. And then we just had a discussion around it and they went back and forth and we all decided. And then, you know, it became came their room and the, their space instead of uh, instead of ours. I have concerns that this type of coaching would work with like middle school age kids. Yeah. Do um, they pull out their cell phones or what? <laughs> No, I mean, I, 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 I like where she's going and I really like the idea of it and stuff, but also in practicality, I think it's like with a lot of things, like the thing that comes to mind, like guided discovery, obviously guided discovery is a great way to coach and stuff, but there's a lot of shortcuts that you kind of have to take because you don't necessarily as a coach have the amount of time that you would like to spend so many hours with a, with a player guiding them to the right thing. This seems, but it, ultimately, that's that's kind of what you want to be doing because you want them to be take ownership and autonomy over the things they do. And this seems like a very similar thing where you're you're almost doing that with a, with a culture and that kind of thing. But I think, and now I'm thinking out loud, so you can edit this down. But I think at least with middle school and maybe even <clears throat> some high school ages. What ends up happening is those kids are are, are basically pre-programmed. Like they they've been for sure probably getting directive statements all the way up until like you know you, you, up until that point. So they don't know necessarily even how to function in a space where they actually have some autonomy. So you'd have to like maybe introduce it in a small scale in a certain area, like shagging the balls or something like that, and then build from there uh, as they got older. But it also sounds like John, you have you have players that now are more self-aware and able to take autonomy in a situation. So when you give them that freedom, they will actually do it. Whereas I think, you know, it's, it's always that line of where, where can you do this and how do you do it in the reality of, of the lives of these players and what they've experienced. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm still learning about how to do this best. Um, but I do think if it is, if you're not looking to develop athletes to comply or rebel, mm-hmm. um, then you can start to be a part of the change instead of just continuing to go along with it, even if they've been taught that their whole lives. So you have an opportunity to start to create a different space and a different way of going about things. And I think it will be hard and it will be uncomfortable for coaches and you'll probably feel awkward and look bad at times. But I think for me, it's like, all right, here's something I can get better at. I can be learning and improving, you know, my ability to coach and create a dynamic environment. And, and then, I don't know, I guess they see you like challenging yourself and and learning along the way with them. So I think there's benefits there, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's not 
you know, maybe you don't want to make a wholesale change and you just start out like just starting to notice how often you're saying directive statements in practice. So instead of constantly directing them, you know, hit a jump serve. Um, you're, you had put a couple up here actually, Nils, that you heard a lot in college. What were they? Uh, well, one of the ones was that I heard all the time was make adjustments. Yeah, make adjustments. Yeah. I was like, okay, yes, sir. Instead of, um, you know, giving the athlete some power over it. Um, or noticing when they do. I think that's a big thing is informative statements are a big upgrade from directive, informing them. Like you, you just made adjustments there. You're someone who knows how to solve problems. And then you're building some self-efficacy. You're building um, your athletes realizing they do have skills um, to, to figure things out on their own instead of being constantly bossed around. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think it can be a powerful tool. Yeah, and... It gets like John said, it's not easy implementing all this language. We were talking about it uh, in terms of parenting, and it's not like all of a sudden you switch a word up and your kid or everybody's just behaving perfectly. Like it's a long process, and you're just trying to create a culture that over the long term is going to be better for the athletes and better for the program. So it's definitely not like a quick change by switching a word up. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, we'll move on from directive, but I think that's something hopefully people can think about and and start to notice uh the next upgrade i had was uh i think i hear a lot as people giving feedback that focuses on the past so one of the common ones is oh you're just having a bad day or you're just having a bad match i'm sure you guys have heard coaches or fellow athletes say that to each other what, what do you guys think about that one i hear That's that all, tough. yeah i hear that all the time Fuller, let's yeah, hear it. Bummer, what do you got? Fuller? Yeah, just just trying to help people move on, and you know, these are the circumstances that we're in right now, and what steps are we taking to to move forward, and you know, what kind of adjustments can you make? Um, yeah, what else do you guys think about that? For me, the conversation was always if if a player was talking about having a bad day, and they're in the middle of practice, it was trying to get them to realize that they still have half a practice. Uh, you know, maybe their day wasn't that great leading up to this time right now, but after the timeout, they're in control of something that they can do to, to get better or improve. And same thing in a match too. Like they would, you know, oh, I'm just having, they would often, you'd hear that in between sets or something where they would, it sounded like they were, you know, chalking up the whole match when it was just the end of the first set. Yep. Um, yeah, I think what happens a lot is people, Brene Brown says, it's the story you tell yourself. So you create this narrative today's a bad day and then you know it's gonna put a a damper on any future plays because today's just a bad day where you know bernie holiday talked about let's go hunt the good stuff i'm sure there's i know there's hundreds of things you're doing really well in this supposed bad day and a lot of the times on those bad days you go back and watch film and you're like oh wow i did that well i did that well i did that well but because of the story you had been telling yourself uh you're just noticing the the negative and the more you you create that narrative, then it's harder to get out of it and just go like, okay, here's one play and here's one opportunity to make a play. And that last play didn't go as well as I wanted, but that has nothing to do with my day or this match. The The next yeah. one I have that I hear a lot, so you guys think is, and I hear it on the beach, like even like AVP pros saying, don't miss your serve, I just miss mine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it's it's not really useful information because it's not like it affects anyone's desire about making the serve. It's not like, oh, well, you made your serve, so 
I'm off the hook now. <laughs> I'm not really interested in making my serve because you made yours. Yeah, it, I think it just it's irrelevant information. If you're going to be more focused because the person before you missed, that's probably a problem with your perception. Right. <laughs> you should go back there with full focus. Yeah, I mean, and probably this- more useful dialogue is like, "Hey, last time I served to their line, this is what happened. Maybe let's serve to their seam and see if this creates a different scenario." Well, I know, like, I, I, I had, there was a lot of talk on this when I was um, at U, at the UCLA when I was volunteering there with Andrea Becker. She talked a lot about this, about the idea of not allowing the game, especially when it came to serving, like, you go back and hit your best serve, no matter what, no matter the situation, no matter what was going on before. So if 10 guys had missed before you, it was your job to go back there and still go and hit your best serve. Um, and it was, it was a lot of talk on that, on how to just make sure that you're going through your routine and doing it regardless of what was going on. Because what, what happened is if guys missed like two or three serves before them, they wanted to, they wanted to, you know, take some off or just make it in or something. And at the end of the day, after they crunched the numbers, they were like, that's not what's going to help us, when at the highest percentage, you guys have to go back there and hit your best serve regardless of the situation. So you have to just move on from whatever was going on. And there was a lot of talk about that exact idea. Um, so yeah, yep. you weren't ever allowed to say that in that gym, but it was interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's there's a lot of them. There's like, you know, earn one back for me here. We, I gave up a point. I think there's all sorts of these things referencing the past mm-hmm. that we, we can notice. And I think the more the the talk can be about what can we do now and what's a productive thing that's going to help us then the better the other one uh, you have here nils is my bad oh yeah it took so this one took me a while i had a little bit of a journey with that one because this one came up when i was playing um when i was actually hugh mccutcheon brought this up and i remember him talking about it and it was it was apparently it was a very american thing at the time i don't know if it's moved on but he was saying how much he hated it uh, and we basically said we weren't allowed to use that word anymore, that phrase anymore. And it took me a long time to figure out, or at least in my opinion, what was going on. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about, where one, you're referencing the past, past, so you're giving useless information. And then also what's happening when you say my bad, there's a lot of different dynamics that could happen. One, it might not have been your bad, or if it was your bad, everybody knows. If you miss a serve, everybody knows that you missed a serve. You don't need to bring attention to it. Um, so, the, so what's, do you have sorry. an upgrade, Billy? Yeah, I just think I remember hearing Karch talk. He missed a dig, and they had the mic and the timeout, and he was just like, "I'm getting that next one. I'm getting it next time. I'll get the next one." And so it's forward thinking. You're putting yourself in a more aggressive. Like I'm going to get this one than like dwelling on the last play. Yeah. So because this is so, I have a, a question for you guys because this is what I gave my players and. It's just what I came up with. So I don't necessarily know if this is best. So if there's an upgrade here, tell me. I would tell my players to then try to think about something that they could actually do for the next one. A perfect example is like if um, if a hitter got blocked or something, I would have the digger or the back row guys to make sure that say, hey, okay, I'm going to make sure that I'm available for your cover. We want you to swing away and we're going to cover you and we're going to be there for it. Um, because covering especially is one of those things like, you're in control of it. You know what I mean? Whereas like the next dig, you might not be in control of. So for me, it was like, if you're going to say, oh, I'm going to hit my next serve. Well, you're not on hundred percent control of that. You can say, I'm going to focus really in. I'm going to go through my routine. I'm going to do all these things 
that I know are going to have my success, but I, you're, you can't say like, Oh, I'll hit my next serve in because that would then probably go back there and not hit your best serve. Um, so trying to tell the players or, or put something within your control, I'm going to stand in the right spot on defense. I'm going to be stopped and balanced on defense. I'm going to do something that I can actually control. And that's what you're going to tell your players to get you to move on to the next thing. Yeah. That's also such an outward expression of pretty poor self-talk and I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Um, and just trying to bring awareness first and foremost to holy shit i'm saying that to myself like that is that is so unproductive and then you know having some wherewithal to to move on and, and adapt it yeah and i think that's a big point andrew is that a lot of this is about awareness and mm-hmm. a lot of these things are things we've all said and until you really spend some time being being thoughtful about it and noticing it it's hard to make the change so mm-hmm. I, you know we don't want this to come off as like judging like you're saying this you know you idiot coach but more that you know these are mistakes we've made um, hopefully you can now notice them and, and look at ways to upgrade your language that was part one of our conversation on upgrading your language join us next week for more